We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 167. Scott, are you almost ready to say that the Yankees are going for the wild card at this point? It's getting damn close. Today was a big day. Today being Sunday, it was a big day. Obviously, a two-game swing. They needed to win that game. I had to walk back to the stupid apartment against the stupid traffic of Red Sox fans coming out of the game for the second time in one week. 
It was not fun. I didn't appreciate it. It would have been a lot more fun if they had won the game, and they didn't, so it got me very mad before we started recording. Dude, Yankees suck, kid. Dude, yeah. you, you wearing your Yankees hat. What the hell, kid? Yeah, some, something like that. Something along yeah. those lines. That, that was, uh, I had to deal with that for about seven years. Yes, I, uh, I don't envy that. I was only time I was ever around Red Sox fans was during college, and that was from 1998 to uh, 2003 because I took the five-year tour, and the Yankees were phenomenal during that time, so they had nothing to say to me. It was a lot of fun when the Yankees just owned the Red Sox. I didn't really care. I actually welcomed the shit-talking because I knew I just could throw 1918 in the Red Sox fans' face, and they legitimately could not say anything back. But not anymore. Uh, the good old days. Yes, we're in a different time, different era. They have some championships, which have spoiled them. So they have become soft. I will talk about that because when I went to the game on Friday, uh, there, was, there was literally zero people that were saying anything to me in any, any kind of a confrontational manner or even just an argumentative manner or just shit-talking in general. It just didn't, it, it didn't happen, and I was a little disappointed. It takes a little longer for the rivalry to reach back to the, to the game itself. Because those are all the fans that are on the tourist. They're going to see Fenway Park, just like they're going to see a Yankee. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm in town. I got to see a Yankee Red Sox game. Next year, maybe after the, the hatred boils up, who knows, maybe the Yankees play the Red Sox in the playoffs this year. Then we'll get the, uh, the diehard assholes back at, back at the stadiums. Yeah, that's that's possible. I think a lot of the diehard assholes have left almost permanently, though. It's a, it's. I feel like b- baseball games have become, depending on where you're sitting, I think also. But it, it's become almost a different a different atmosphere. It has definitely become more of an entertainment sport than it is, uh, you know, filling the stadium with the diehards. At least that's yeah. just what I've witnessed over the past. I don't know, five six years. Before we get into everything today, we do have a bit of news. We teased it last uh, episode, but September 30th, you guys know we're going to be doing another event. It's the last Saturday of the season against Toronto. It's looking like this is going to be a very important game for the Yankees. Who knows? They might need to clinch a wild card spot at that point. Scott, you have uh, some more details on, on this stuff. Yeah, so the tickets will be on sale uh, either Monday, today, when you're listening to this. It will most likely be today. Uh, And what the deal is, we have everything settled in, and we're very excited about this. Uh, We have just over a month before the game starts, so we have plenty of time to fill these stands up. We have close to 500 tickets available. We want to sell that out, make sure that we can slam these two sections, sections 205 and sections 206, the same ones we had last time. Uh, The Yankees have opened up quite a bit of tickets to us, and it's uh, going to be fun because we could bring a ton of noise just like last time. We had over 300 people at the last event. This one is going to be a $59 ticket, which is, again, lower than retail value. Uh, You look on the secondary market for a game on September 30th versus Toronto, That's you damn well know it's going to mean something considering this wild card is going to go down to probably the last game. It's one ticket, 59 bucks. You get a T-shirt, you get a game ticket in 205 or 206, and we're doing a pregame party at the Bronx Brewery, at the actual brewery itself, which will be a lot of fun. They have a big outdoor deck or a big outdoor uh, patio section in the back. Uh, and you're going to get two free 16-ounce beers, and then we have a deal basically up until game time, uh, $4 16-ounce pints. So it's going to be a blast. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's a, it's a quick subway ride from the brewery to the stadium, um, so it's not bad going from one to the other. And then we will have the sections full packed, ready to go for the 4 o'clock game versus the Blue Jays. 4 o'clock game, so we're going to start that pregame around 1 o'clock, obviously show up uh, between the 1 and 2 o'clock hour and to get the two free beers, and then $4 pints after that is a pretty damn good deal. Uh, you can get nice and loaded before the game at 4 o'clock against the Blue Jays. Also, those seats, 
I was shocked. I had never sat there until we our event on June 10th. Those are damn good seats. You're basically right on top of the field. It's the mid-level in right field. Those are awesome seats there. Yeah, they're great seats. They're $64, I believe, if you were to buy a face value ticket. So we're getting a deal from the Yankees, and we're trying to pass it on to you guys. Obviously, you're getting a whole bunch of other stuff, too, the T-shirt and then the, the pregame party at the brewery. So, yeah, it's going to be a blast. It's going to be a lot of fun. Make sure you're telling all of your friends. If you came last time, spread the word. Let's, uh, let's, let's just jam these, these sections full and get loud because it's going to be a big game. I mean, if, if we have learned anything it's be from this season— playoff implications. There's no doubt. If we have learned any, and it's the last weekend, it's a Saturday before the playoffs start. So it's going to be basically a playoff game. You can, I, I can almost guarantee it. Also, some news. I don't know if you guys watched the Periscope that Scott and I did last Wednesday, which we recorded our Thursday episode. We're going to do it again, except we're going to do it on Facebook Live, potentially Periscope as well, but definitely Facebook Live this coming Wednesday afternoon. Uh, TBD on the time. We'll obviously tweet it out and put it on Facebook what time it's going to be, but assume after five o'clock. Uh, I had a lot of fun doing that. We, we had 2,000 viewers on that Periscope, and I think um, you know, it was something new for us, Scott, but I had a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, it's definitely something we're trying to implement more is some more video, and uh, the fact that we could be in the same city right now is terrific, and it's more fun personally doing it. I know we had a lot more fun doing it in person. We could drink beers, talk Yankees, yell at each other uh, right at the same table, and it's actually it's more fun than doing it over a microphone through Skype. So yeah, it's uh, Facebook Live this Wednesday. Go to our Facebook page. And then we'll figure out if we could figure out how to do two different social medias. We will see. Mm. We'll have them on both. <laughs> let's, let's only commit to one at this point because I know <laughs> us. Right. The two main things we talked about on that episode, though, were Chapman being removed from the closer role and if Judge would be dropped out of the three hole. Uh, we have some news on, on both of those things, some developments. Which one do you want to start with? I think Chapman. Let's, uh, let's, let's do Chapman considering it's, uh, I have the most hate for him right now. So Chapman, yeah, you were at that game on Friday. You saw the meltdown in person. I know the Yankees were already losing the game at that point, but but Chapman sealed it for the Red Sox. The Red Sox have absolutely owned Chapman this season. He was he can't find the plate first of all, and then when he does find the plate, he can't get swings and misses. Up until that day, the Yankees Girardi said Chappie's our closer. Chappie's our guy. After that game, though, he said uh, he's not our guy anymore, and he didn't name a closer. Um, Batances got the save on Saturday night. Who knows? Maybe it'll be Robertson another day. But Chapman is out of the closer role. Yeah, for, for now. Because we all know, and I know we have a mailbag about this, I believe, talking about the, the closer role. But, I, you know, Girardi, it seems like, just kind of tells you what you want to hear one day, and then he'll say something else the next day. So, honestly, take, take with a complete grain of salt what he says on a daily basis. Because he's 100% not sticking to it. It's not like he's saying to you and it's the gospel and he's got to stick with it. That's not happening. He's changing his mind as he chooses. So the fact that, that Chapman does not have the, the quote closer role at this point, I mean, to me, that could change at any moment, at any time, and he could just designate him back into that spot. I mean, we're seeing his stubbornness in other areas, so why would he choose to not be stubborn in that particular spot? I mean, I, I expect him to be the closer again. He had no choice, though, with Chapman. It was, it was, it's obvious that he can't save a game right now. The guy's confidence was absolutely shot, which is crazy for somebody of his stature and his success in his career. He's performed at the biggest level, and then all of a sudden he, just, he goes out there and craps himself. You know, and it all boils down to not throwing strikes. I mean, if you can't throw strikes, then you become hittable, no matter what you throw, because then you become predictable. If you're predictable, anybody in the major leagues can hit you. It doesn't matter what you're throwing. If they know it's coming, 
they can hit you. These guys are all professional hitters. It doesn't matter if the guy's batting 200 in the major leagues. If he knows what's coming, he can hit you. So the, the fact is, is that when Chapman loses that control, he becomes a completely different guy. When he, when he loses the confidence in that secondary pitch, he becomes a completely different guy. He needs to make sure that he throws that slider, and he actually did today. He throw that slider, establish that slider, have the, the slider in the back of the mind of that batter, and then that 102 to 105 or whatever he's throwing on that given day becomes that much more effective, and then he becomes that dominant guy. But if he can't locate, he's screwed. I know his numbers today on Sunday looked decent. He had an inning and a third. He didn't give up a run or a hit. He walked a guy and struck out two batters. But if you saw him, like I was watching him pitch, and he was all over the place. Sanchez was constantly jumping from side to side of the plate because he'd set up on the inside corner to a lefty, and the ball would end up on the outside half of the plate. It's like he's still missing by eight inches. Yeah, he's not. I mean, the only the only at bat that I saw like complete confidence was the the last at bat. I think it was the sixth inning when he got that final out. And I mean, he looked good on that. He he pretty much blew. Um, I think it was Devers actually, wasn't it? It was uh, it was somebody. Was I don't it, remember who it was. No, um, Devers so came it was in the weird next inning because because um, Girardi didn't bring him in for Bradley Jr. and then he no. brings him. Yeah, he did. He didn't bring him in. No, he did not bring him in for Bradley Jr. You're right, right. So if you're going to use Chapman anyway. I don't know. Maybe he was trying to avoid Chapman. Maybe he did. Maybe he was. I mean, he's probably a little afraid of Chapman at this point, so he's probably sticking with Warren, even though Warren gave up a home run on Saturday too. So, well, let's jump around a little bit then, because if we're talking about Chapman, today's game was uh, was relevant for me with Girardi as well. So he comes in. He's already he's warming up in the sixth inning. Uh, Warren is is in the game and is about to face Jackie Bradley Jr. There is a runner on third. Why not? You have Brock Holt up, who's also a lefty, and Chapman coming in the game for Brock Holt. Why not bring him in for Jackie Bradley Jr.? The shadows were at a point, too, where they were, they were also a problem. I mean, in, in Fenway, those shadows get pretty ugly, and you get Chapman throwing 103 miles an hour. To me, that's a, that's a very good situation for him to be in with the shadows and against two lefties, especially Jackie uh, Bradley Jr., who already had three RBI, or two RBIs on the day and then got his third RBI in that, in that in that at-bat versus Warren. I mean, it's a perfect position to bring him in against two lefties. And Girardi waited until Warren gave up the base hit to Bradley Jr. and then brought in um, Chapman. And it was Brock Holt who he had struck out. And it was, you know, that's a perfect situation to bring him in at that point. And he failed to do it. I totally agree. It's it, Chapman's, I mean, excuse me, Girardi seems to be stuck in, in between on Chapman. I don't know if I should use him in a high leverage situation or I don't know if I should just use him to get his confidence back up. He's not quite sure how to use him at this point. The problem is, you know how many things went into that decision, I think, with Girardi, which is a problem. It's such a big problem. You have a runner on third. You have Warren up against uh, Bradley Jr. Obviously, obviously the move with Chapman warming up in the bullpen, and he's not your closer anymore. The move is to bring in Chapman with two lefties on deck, right? With, with, Bra- with Bradley Jr. and then Holt. That's the move 100%. I believe 100%. that is section 3.2 yeah. V1 of the binder. Yes, especially when such said player is, is, is removed from the closer role, then he also fits into that chapter. But that's a, no, that that's now <laughs> but, you're getting into all subcategories, and it's a little confusing. The one of the things I guarantee that was in the back of Girardi's mind is that he cannot bring in Chapman because he's not sure that Sanchez can handle the fastball with a runner on oh. third base. Yeah, I guarantee that was in the thought process. So now, now we have two problems. Now we have zero confidence in the catcher for catching Chapman, zero confidence in Chapman for coming in and actually executing when he's supposed to in a position that he's supposed to do. Now what do you do? The Sanchez thing is getting out of hand. It's getting out of control. 
It's because embarrassing. it's getting to a point where I mean, and Saturday night where he couldn't even block strike threes, and and Betances and Robertson saved his ass by striking out by striking out guys. But but it's getting to a point where it's happening so often that it's no longer a fluke. It's just he's not getting his body down to block a ball. I don't know if it's fatigue. I don't know if it's mental. I don't know if it's ability. Whatever the reason is, he's not doing it. It's a hundred percent technique. Maybe it's some laziness. Maybe it's not mental preparation. I was talking about this on Twitter for a while on Saturday night when, when it was just un, getting un, unbearable. I mean, you're striking people out and he's not able to block the ball. He's, he's going the wrong way on some breaking balls. David Robertson literally had to pull him aside and remind him which way his ball is going to spin if it hits the ground. That's a problem. If your catcher doesn't know which way that ball is going to spin when the, when the ball hits the ground, and if David Robertson's throwing that, um, that knuckle curve or that curveball into the dirt... You know it's going to get down. You know it's going... I don't care if you call for it in the dirt or not. You know it's going to be a low-breaking ball, potentially in the dirt. And if you don't square up, not to the plate, but to the ball, so that the ball stays in front of you, then you have a situation where David Robertson doesn't either feel comfortable throwing that pitch because he doesn't think you're going to block it, and he leaves one hanging, or that's his best pitch on the day, and you can't call it because you can't block it. And that's what happened. I mean, it bounced away. Runner goes on base. So it's becoming a significant issue. And last time we talked about this, I was like, yeah, it's gonna be, it, he's, he's making up for it with the bat. He threw a runner out that also he made up for it with some of these blocks. But they're coming in crucial situations now, and that's a problem. It is a little confusing with the spin on a curveball, though, because you'd think, oh, he's just a right-hander throwing a curveball or a slider. It's going to break... Uh, oh, it's going to break to the left of the pitcher, but it's actually going to break the opposite way. So I could, I could understand how that's a little confusing for oh, a guy get, like Gary Sanchez. It's confusing maybe to us watching the game. It's not confusing if you know what the hell is coming and you practice, and then the guy literally tells you which way it's going to spin. It's your freaking job. Know it's which also, way know He which knows way what pitch is coming. He, call, he just called the pitch. He should know. Okay, I just cur- I called a curveball. So I'm pretty sure he's going to throw a curveball because I yeah. called it. So if it's in the dirt, I think it's gonna. I have to move left because that's what way it's gonna break. No, I've. Uh, damn it, I went right again. God damn. And it's not like he's he's not getting into position fast enough, but he's also getting into the wrong position. I mean, he's not squaring up to the ball. So even if he's square to the plate and and squaring his body to the pitcher, the ball is still uh, going to the side of him, to the left of him on that particular pitch, and he's not squaring up to the ball. So the ball kicks out to the left and goes to the back or to the uh, to the wall. It's just. It's just bad technique, and a professional catcher at the major league level should not be having these problems. So the question is, what do they do about it? I have no idea, because you can't play Austin Roman on a daily basis. You can't move Sanchez to, uh, to, to DH right now. But we're looking long-term, and we've had this question before. Long-term, I don't know how long, in the, you know, if he can't correct this stuff, the dude's a DH. Well, the, the, the issue, though, with the Yankees, and this is... We're now talking long-term, like you said. As far as 2017 goes, Gary Sanchez is the starting catcher. Yes. It's something they're going to have to deal with. But if we're talking about 2018 and going forward, they have Gary Sanchez, who might need to move positions either to DH or first base. They've got Greg Bird, who they hope is their future first baseman. And they have a gigantic right fielder who maybe is starting to suck this season because he's tired from running around in the outfield. And maybe first base or DH would, would do him some good, too. So Great. what do you do? You so got three, three guys three for one spot. You get three DHs. Awesome. Doesn't Greg Bird play right field also? I mean, maybe they could just switch. I don't know. Maybe oh, don't Greg, Bird, Greg Bird at this point could just do anything. Just tell you him really to really want uh, Greg Bird and his bum ankle running around out in right field? Well, apparently it's not a bum ankle, right? They got rid of that bone, the extra bone that was in his body. <laughs> That's weird. But um, 
I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea what the solution is. I don't have the answers right now. But I can tell you right now, uh, in the immediate future, that uh, there's, there's just a confidence level issue with Gary Sanchez behind the plate and then talking about Araldis Chapman, circling back to the guy that we were talking about. It's an issue because then they don't know when to bring him in. And I, I still believe that as soon as you see a few strings of, uh, of good pitching from Chapman, we're going to see him right back in that ninth spot. Moving on to Judge, who Girardi said he's not moving out of the three spot. Struck out again on Sunday, 37 straight games, no end in sight. I think he might go the rest of the season with a strikeout. And let me also be clear, I don't give a shit if he strikes out every day. But he's not doing other things either. He's not making contact. I, I wrote um, in my Friday blog that in the since the second half started, 63% of his at-bats have ended in either a home run, a strikeout, or a walk. 63%. The major league average is like 34% this season of the of a they call it a total true outcome. I know you'll love that. <laughs> but but uh he's only putting the ball in play in the second half. I think it was uh 42% of the time. For a number 3 hitter, it's just not enough. There's not enough contact for a number 3 hitter. No, and in the first half, we saw exactly the opposite. I mean, the dude was putting everything in play. We, they were talking about his swing plane and how it was dragging through the, the zone a lot longer, so he was able to hit pitches even if he was early or late. And, I mean, we looked at um, – I think you were, we were watching the game at that time when it was after we had recorded last Wednesday. We were watching, it was. This is the Mets game, and they showed his, his batting stance from the first half of, of the season to the second half of the season. It's totally different. I mean, you look at the two batting stances, he's wide open right now, and it's just it's a very different stance, whereas in the first half, he was a lot more closed off, and to me, when you're a lot more closed off, you can go the other way a lot easier, uh, you're not trying to pull the ball as much. So I don't know what they're doing mechanically, but when I'm looking at that, my eye test, when I see the two of them side by side, I'm saying, okay, that's a problem right there. How about we start going back to when he was actually doing well and blocking off that side of the plate and trying to go the other way? Because to me, that's where he has success. But isn't that so easily fixable? If the issue is yeah. his batting stance and his shoulders not being squared to the pitcher or maybe even slightly closed so he can stay on the ball and go to right field, that to me is an easy fix. That's Marcus Thames gets in the batting cage with Judge and just drills that into him until he's doing it again. It's got to be something else. I think it's a big factor in this Judge thing is fatigue. And Girardi running him out there every day where he's clearly struggling. It's, it's two months now. It's a two-month slump. This is not a, a two-week slump and we can just say, he's our guy, he's going to get back, he was the best player for us in the first half, we have confidence. It's two months of slumping, bad slumping at this point. Let him have a day off. I'm not asking them to send him back to Scranton. Just sit him a day so he can rest. He's played in 119 of 123 games. I mean, I'm sure that has something to do with it. I don't think it's one thing. I don't think the, the batting stance is the only issue with no, this problem. No, no, I, I think it's a, it's a culmination. It's multiple, multiple Absolutely. issues. There's no doubt. There's, there's a, it's, they're all compounding as well. So whether it is fatigue, and I could see that, he's a big man running around a lot, playing a lot of games right now. For the first time, uh, he's probably playing this much and getting this much action. There's a lot more travel. There's a lot more things that go into a major league schedule the first time when you when you make that transition into uh, into the big leagues for a full season. So yeah, I, I guarantee there's a lot of things going into it. Maybe it's the home run derby though. Maybe it's <laughs> maybe it's just the home run derby. Uh, you know, my worst nightmare is after the season is over, it comes out that yeah, Judge, you know, he kind of he kind of tweaked, tweaked his oblique something. in the he tweaked his oblique or he maybe hurt a hamstring in the home run derby. I'm I might off myself if that happens. Yeah, that's a that's a fear. That's, that's a like, bad that's, look for that'd be a bad look for me. 
that's like uh, that's like Tanaka coming up with an elbow issue right now. That, uh, that's what I fear. But doesn't he look not not totally mentally engaged? Like today on Sunday, Mookie Betts duped him into he, Mookie Betts was on second with um, nobody out or one out. I don't remember. And um, it was a short fly ball to right field. Mookie acted like he wasn't going to run, so Judge kind of just put his head down and lobbed it into the cutoff man, but Mookie Betts was actually running to third base. Judge isn't, just to me, doesn't look 100% invested in the game, and that might be a mental fatigue issue. I, I mean, I agree. I think there is a level of that that will, that will definitely set in. I think zero players besides Mel, uh, Mookie Butt, Betts does a type of player, a play like that. It was like a delayed seal. It was a delayed tag. It was a great play, to tell you the truth. It was a great hustle play. He obviously has seen what Judge has done in the past, pretty de- predicted that he was going to do that exact same thing and, and ran as he was throwing it. So, I mean, honestly, that one was on Mookie Betts just being a freaking smart baseball player. Um, and because nine times out of ten, these guys are lobbing it back in when there's a guy right there. I mean, that just happens all the time. So every, every single time that 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 occurrence happens, that's exactly what you get. You get a lob back in. So I don't know. I'm not putting too much on that one. I think that's more on Mookie being the smart ball player. But yeah, I do see elements of the fatigue, and I think that does go down to the way he's swinging the bat, the way his his mental approach at the plate. Um, so it's just a number of things. And uh, you know, a day off, fine. I, Maybe that will help for the short term, but he's got to get these things fixed. Uh, and, and I do think a lot of them are approach-wise and, and mentality and how you're approaching certain things. I, I think that's more what has to do with it. I, know, I think it needs slightly more than just a, a, quote, day off. I think he needs to be benched. I think he should not play in the first game of the Detroit series. So that means you get uh, two days off because Monday is an off day. And then when he comes back, he's batting like sixth. And and. Be, and it's not just because he's like, oh, he's struggling. He needs to get back together. Moving him down in the order is going to take pressure off him. I mean, that might be a factor. I don't really buy into that. But he's not a good hitter right now. So you have a bad hitter batting third. And Gardner is starting to heat back up. You got Sanchez, who loves the month of August. Didi's been on fire the whole second half. Why not just put those three guys at the top of the order? Get your best guys up. This Girardi, we talked about this on, on Thursday's show. He doesn't have any loyalty to these young kids. He should be putting whatever team is going to get him the win that night in the batting order on the field. Yeah. No, you're right. He sticks to these things too much. I mean, I, I'm not calling it a benching because I don't think the guy deserves to be benched at that, at that point. He's struggling. I think guys can work through it. I think a day off for a mental health day is, is more of the way you need to position it, not, not a benching for the first day. It sounds too much like you're, you're – you're punishing him for being tired. I don't know. It doesn't seem like a punishable offense for what he's doing right now. I think dropping him down in the order just makes more sense team-wise, lineup-wise, because you start seeing when they face, um, you know, every other day it seems like they struggle with, uh, with, with the power, and if they're not hitting the ball out of the ballpark in the second half, they're not winning games. So, you know, that's, that's when you do. You're right. You need to move him down for the sake of the lineup. I mean, you got guys like Starling coming back, Bird's – healthy it looks like he's hit two home runs when he was in Scranton the other day I mean this, they, they look like they're, they're getting reloaded again so the fact that you can move him down and really not give up too much especially right now with him struggling you're not giving up much at all let him correct himself then bring it back up I don't see the problem uh, any problem with that yeah and before we talk about Greg Bird and Starlin Castro quickly I want to tell you guys about SeatGeek obviously everybody listening to this podcast right now is a Yankees fan and a baseball fan and a sports fan. If you're like me, you always check out prices for games online. Well, buying tickets to sports and concerts is not, it should not be complicated. There's a simpler way to buy, and it's with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest and easiest way to get tickets to live events. 
They have seamless mobile experience where you can buy and sell tickets with just two taps. So it's super easy. You get the app, boom, boom, you're done. You have a ticket to the game. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices and they're fully guaranteed. There's nothing like seeing your favorite team live in person and with SeatGeek, they can get you closer to the action at a great value. I've used the app before. It's very easy and I like that they color code their tickets based on value. So you know if you're spending like 20 bucks in the upper deck, that might actually be a really good value for a specific game or you might be paying a little bit more to be down close to the action and that's also good. They do it green all the way down to red so you know if you're getting a good price or not. They're also, uh, as I said, fully guaranteed so you can buy with confidence. Our listeners of the Bronx Pinstripe Show can get their first order at SeatGeek for $20 off by downloading the app and entering the promo code BRONX. Again, get 20 bucks off your first ticket purchase using promo code BRONX. Scott, as you said, Greg Bird is, is close to coming back, hit two home runs. Starlin Castro is also close to coming back, so hopefully we see those guys over the next couple weeks, hopefully even before that next Red Sox four-game series. Obviously, we know Starlin Castro is going right back at second base when he comes back, but what do you realistically think they're going to do with Greg Bird when he comes back? You know, it's a. I think it's going to be a, an interesting situation for Girardi because ever since Headley has moved over to first base, he's done well. Ever since he's become really just a left-handed bat, he's done well. And the what you're what you're looking to get out of Greg Bird is first base, left-handed bat. So you got two guys now who are are playing. You know, well, one guy who's playing well, and then the guy you want to be your first baseman to come back in and slide into the, as that uh, as that first baseman with pop. The difference be- being between the two of these guys is theoretically, Greg Bird has a lot more power than Chase Headley, so you're going to get to you know the ability to drive in more more runs. I do believe that Greg Bird is going to slot back in. I think they're going to play around with this DH spot. I know that Matt Holiday is doing some rehab stuff. I think he was in Tampa this past week. Yeah, um, he's I, he uh, he went on the 10-day DL, but it kind of you knew it was going to be more than 10 days. Like unlike CC who came back after 10 days, Holiday's going down to Tampa. I I, I still don't think they 100% know what's wrong with him. No, I agree and I think that's going to be where you'll see a lot more of this flexibility. I think it's going to be that DH spot because Holiday's not going to come back and be immediately reinserted unless they know, know damn well he's healthy. And if they have better options, I think at this point they're going to play them. So they're going to take their time with him and hope he, hopefully he could be, be a, you know, a spark later in the season um, you know, towards the end if he's completely healthy. Otherwise, I don't know what they're going to do with him. But I think that's what's going to happen. I think we're going to play around with that DH spot and we're going to get um, some platooning going on. I, he's, I don't think Greg Bird's going to slot in as the everyday first baseman unless he comes in and just lights it up. You know, I'd hope that would happen, but I think they have a, they're going to be in an interesting spot because Bird, Headley, both at first base, Tyler Austin is now in the mix for first base. You got Frazier over at, over at third, who had a good weekend against the Red Sox. Um, Garrett Cooper went down with an injury. I don't know what his situation is, but you've got a lot of guys who can all play similar positions. Girardi's got to be in a position now where whoever's performing is on the field. He, it doesn't matter. It might be Chase Headley at first base and Todd Frazier at third, or it might be Greg Bird at first base and Chase Headley at third base. Like they don't, they don't owe Todd Frazier anything if he's not performing. Or even if you might see uh, Tyler Austin go out to right field for a couple days if Aaron Judge is going to be on the bench. Whoever is hitting needs to be in the lineup, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I don't think, I don't think we're going to see Tyler Austin on the team much longer after Bird's up. I, I just, I don't see the spot for him. 
because uh, you know the utility spot. I mean, if you're looking at maybe a, a, another outfielder, but they have not really shown that they're going to put him out there. I mean, he's pretty much been a first baseman. Um, if Headley, if they're if they're facing a right-handed pitcher, you could absolutely see left or Headley go to third and Bird at first if they're both playing well. But I agree, they got to play the best. Uh, the, the hottest guys at this point because everything matters. Everything matters now. The, there's one month left in the in the se- in the season, and everything becomes crucial, especially with uh, how close this wild card is. So they're going to be doing that. They're, they're, you're right. They have zero, uh, nothing to to give to um, to Todd Frazier. I mean, they owe him nothing. He's a one year guy. He's a rental. So if he doesn't play, who gives a shit? I mean, honestly, who gives a shit? Even though he's been swinging a better bat lately. He, uh, oh, Tyler Austin though, dude comes back, has a huge three run bomb off Chris Sale. Another, he's another double, but they, then he's also robbed by Jackie Bradley Jr. Tyler Austin has nine lives. He gets injured, comes back, gets injured, gets injured, come back, always has a place on the field. So you say, oh, he's not going to be on the field much longer, but why? He might be. If they did it, if, I mean, if they actually commit to making him uh, that true utility guy where he can go out and play in the outfield as well, maybe he can be more of a. They just have, they're going to have too many first basemen at that point. I, I don't know where that roster spot's going to come from. You're going to there's going to be a decision to be, have to be made with somebody. And when you're looking at that, they're not getting rid of Toe. I mean, the guy is entirely too valuable to in the infield and just as a hitter in general. The guy is freaking clutch. So Tyler Austin to me is the guy that's going to be going up and down. Yes, because he has options. Right, and he's uh, they have they have that position taken care of. I mean, I you're going to see Chase Headley go back to a right-handed bat occasionally and play first base. I think eventually that's what we're going to ha- we're going to see, and just hope that Chase Headley can remember how to hit as a right-handed batter again. Chase Headley hitting as a left-handed batter is really throwing a wrench in all these plans I had for not having him ever play again. It's true. I think he might have a spot now. Um, another bit of news that, that came out over the weekend was the Yankees actually put in a waiver claim for Marco Estrada of the Blue Jays. They didn't get a deal done, so Estrada's still on the, on the, on the Jays. Uh, it was interesting because I remember you saying that they should put in a waiver claim for him kind of jokingly. He's a guy that has always kind of handled the Yankees well, even though he sucks. So I guess if you can't beat him, just bring him on your team. Well, see, I don't think he sucks. That's the problem. He's he's sucked against uh, this year. He's been bad. He's sucked he's, against he's everybody a, except the Yankees. This year, yes, this year he's had good seasons. I mean, he's a he's one of those crafty guys that comes out and just and goes deep into games and will frustrate the living hell out of you because he doesn't throw hard. He just throws a bunch of junk. I mean, he was he was the perfect he was the perfect waiver claim guy. I, I'm surprised they didn't get a deal done. Um, but yeah, to me that was a, a great back of the and. But to me, you're also looking at what was I calling. Um, what was I calling Jaime Garcia? I was calling him a completely different name the other day. Anyway, they're pretty much the same guy. So what's the difference? Well, but also, you know, the Blue Jays are going to try and hold the Yankees for ransom. They're not going to just give Marco Estrada to them. They're probably asking for like a high prospect. And Brian Cashman was like, go screw yourself. Yeah, we already gave him Ref Snyder. That's, that's enough. That's a, that's a lot of gold right there. Yeah, Scott can only cry so many times about players going to the Blue Jays. Sons of bitches. Dating back to Thursday when the Yankees were actually winning ballgames, sweeping the Mets, they did exactly what you and I said they needed to do, handle the crappy Mets. They swept them, had some momentum going into Fenway. It didn't exactly play out the way we thought it was going to, but Severino was was throwing heat at City Field on Thursday. Uh, We have a stat in here, 97.3 mile an hour average fastball for Severino this season. He maintains his velocity deep into the ballgames. That's what sets him apart from a lot of other starters. Yeah, can we talk about for a minute how big of a train wreck the Mets are right now and how how they had 
quote, captivated the city and we're going to go, you know, we're going to win not one, not two, not three, not four. They had the, you know, the remaking of the Braves 1990s staff. Not one of these guys can stay healthy or Weren't actually, they on sports Ill- cover of Sports Illustrated? Harvey, they were. DeGrom, all the guys, Mats, yeah. Syndergaard. Yep. They were all there. Now, not none of them can either stay healthy or DeGrom comes out and gets shelled today. There's just these guys are, are not what they thought they were. The, the Mets are a farce. They've pretty much gotten rid of every major player on their team except for Cespedes. Uh, with Granderson just recently going to the Dodgers, which I'm happy for because I, I like Granderson. I've always liked Granderson. So now I can, uh, you know, root for him a little bit in the National League to do well. Um, but yeah, you know, they're a train wreck and they had to beat them and they swept them. They did everything they needed to do. They took advantage of their crappy Mets, the little brother, shitty Mets. And I'm sick of these Mets. I'm really getting tired of Mets fans on Twitter because they, they, got, they got inflated. Their chest got big for a minute, like a hot minute. They went to the World Series. They choked it out. It was a terrible, terrible finish to the season. And now they thought they were like this big, bad team coming in. And now they're freaking terrible. Sold everybody. Their pitching staff is in shambles. Who knows if any of these guys come back healthy. So good luck. Good luck rebuilding that mess uh, over on the, in fucking Queens. Dropping F-bombs here because they pissed me off. Anyway, I'm glad they swept town. It was a Mets town October 2015 until August of 2016. Almost a full year. For the Mets in, in New York City being a uh, Mets town. Almost a full year. That's pretty good for them. Yep. They've had, since they were existing as a team in the 60s, maybe a total of like nine months where they were the team in, in, in New York City. I mean, I'll give them 86. 86, they were the team. There's no doubt about right, that it. Was like but... six, that was six months, though. So that was six months for 1986. And then that's it. So, yeah, we, we, the, the Yankees not only took care of them at home, swept them in city, which is... Great. And then they actually went on and, and played a team that was, uh, that was in front of them in the division and shit the bed. So they, at least they took care of the bad team. They took care of the bad team going into Fenway Park. You were there on Friday night. Looked like it was going beautifully. They oh, took yeah. the lead against the Red Sox bullpen in the, in the seventh inning. And then the, the one thing we think we can count on every night is the bullpen for the Yankees doesn't do its job. Chad Green comes in. Um, Allows two base runners. Tommy Canely comes in, who's struggled recently. I also have some inherited numbers, inherited runners numbers for Canely here. He's allowed five of ten inherited runners since he's been a Yankee to score fifty percent. That sucks. That's a bad number. Fifty percent inherited runners. Yeah, he's been bad against the Red Sox too. He really came in and struggled. Green was good in the uh, the first inning that he came in on Friday night, and then um, let, let guys on, and I think that's when Canely came in. Um, but you know, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun when Sanchez hit that home run. I got to tell you, I was being as loud as I possibly could. There were a bunch of, there were zero Yankee fans around me, one or two, but they weren't very, uh, they weren't very outspoken. But I, I, I got to tell you, when I, when I started standing up uh, for, for that home run and it was kind of going nuts, there were a lot of Yankees fans in Fenway Park. There were a lot. And I had a buddy who's a Red Sox fan that went to the game yesterday uh, when the Yankees won and said that there were a ton of Yankees fans there on Saturday as well. So kudos to the Yankees fans who were showing up in waves. And I mean, it was significantly loud. There were some, there were some uh, let's go Yankees chants that, that lasted probably longer than, than I, I expected them to last. So it was a good atmosphere. The Boston fans got soft. I really didn't get any shit at all. Walking up, I even walk, even walking against the waves of traffic after they won. Not that bad. I mean, honestly, I was expecting to, I was ready for it to 
get it. I mean, I was prepared. I had things in my head to say. I was ready to go. I was going <laughs> to combat it, and I didn't get it. It was disappointing. So no fights? You didn't get any fist fights? No fights. I was, I was going to try not to get into a fight. I think there's enough going on in my life right now where I didn't need a fist fight. But I was going to be verbally assaulted. I mean, I was, I was ready to verbally assault. I was at Fenway Park. I think I want to say it was 2005. It might have been 2006, though. I was, I was definitely still in high school. I drove up to Boston for a game. I started a Let's Go Yankees chant, and then another guy next to me started a Yankees Suck chant. And we were going at it. And I, for a second, I got a little scared. Like, this dude's going to punch me. And he was, like, probably a 30-year-old guy. I was, like, 16 years old at the time. I'm like, eh, I might get some money out of this if he punches me. I'm, but, yeah, it was, it was a little hairy for a second. But that's what I miss. The fear of getting punched at a Yankee-Red Sox game is how that rivalry should be. I, I kind of agree with that. I mean, there, are some, uh, there were some guys that were riled up. They just weren't sitting in my section. I think it depends on who you're sitting next to as well. If you're sitting next to a bunch of college kids who've been drinking all day, probably a much better chance of getting into a, uh, either an altercation or, or, or something. But I, I must say, all of the people at Fenway that are working there too, they seem to have a pretty quick hook. I saw a bunch of people getting kicked out for things that I didn't think they should be kicked out for. So... Uh, I don't know. They, they definitely police it pretty well. There's a lot of old dudes out there that have uh, that have zero tolerance for any any shit. Even even like 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 bad shit talking. Like they're they're making them stop doing that. Yeah. Nice. The guys around the bullpen. Yeah, they were they were cutting that out. It's too PC now. And now now they're changing the name of Yaki Way because Yaki was a racist. Do you hear? You see that? I did not see that. I don't have no idea who Yaki is either. Well, he was the original owner of the Red Sox, and like the oh yeah, street, I did know that. The, I did know the that. street right outside Fenway Park is called Yawkey Way, but he was a gigantic racist, which is a reason why the Red Sox were one of the last teams to have an African American player play for them. I think they were the last American League team. Um, so John Henry brought up this week. I don't know why it just happened this week. Like Henry's been the owner for twelve years at this point, or whatever. But that they they want to rename Yawkey Way. Because it's in the news, that's why. It's uh, the, all the all the shenanigans, the, all the nonsense that's happening in the news. Right, so the Nazis, that's why the neo Nazis were 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 rioting or not rioting, protesting in Fenway in uh, in Boston this weekend. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of lot of mess in this world. That's why I like talking baseball. Right, talking baseball. Friday night, Judge leaves the bases loaded twice. The Yankees did take the lead in that seventh inning. They scored three. They scored four runs in the seventh inning, so they took a six to three lead. But they failed to step on the throats of the Red Sox. Judge struck out with bases loaded in one out uh, in that seventh inning, and he, the inning before he grounded out with two outs and bases loaded. Not taking a bigger lead, you knew the, the Red Sox just seemed to always claw back against the, the Yankees this season. When they had a three-run lead in the seventh inning, the first thing I said was, that's not big enough. They're going to come back. And sure as shit, literally the next half inning, they are getting just timely base hits, singles up the middle, singles in the hole, and, and getting guys on and scoring runs. Uh, doing little things like stealing double steal against Raldis Chapman, which was freaking embarrassing he as well. Hold, he doesn't hold runners. I mean, him and Batances yeah, don't hold runners. That's why this guy also, it's not a, not a great guy for him to, to come in in the, um, it wasn't the sixth inning, that was today. It was the eighth inning, I think, uh, yes. when he came in. So different situations for the guy. He's got to understand that holding a runners on are, are a little bit more important at that point as well. It's just, it was embarrassing. They just, they, they took the one of the runners was also without, Christian Vasquez. He's a, yeah. he's a catcher with a knee problem right now. And he's stealing a base against you. That's yep. that's unacceptable. It's embarrassing if you're Chapman. Yeah. So there were a lot of little things that they did very well, 
and got timely base hits. And uh, I just, you know, I could feel it. I knew it was going to happen. That was very reminiscent of the last time the Yankees were at Fenway Park losing a heartbreaker when Chapman blew the save. It's just a game that they had that they should have won to set the tone of the series and didn't. And you kind of felt after they lost that game on Friday, it, they're really in an uphill battle to get back into this division race with the Red Sox. I know there's a month plus of baseball left and they have four more games against the Red Sox. But just with the way that these teams have been playing, every game is so close. I, I don't see them sweeping the four-game series in two weeks. So the only way they're going to win the division is really if they sweep that series. The other thing I don't think is going to happen, though, uh, one, one thing I think why the Yankees may be right in the thick of the division at, at the end of it is because the Red Sox have been playing very, very well. And it's almost one of those, you're playing very well, maybe a little too early, and you're just waiting for that slide to come. And if you look at baseball and the way things happen, they do come, and usually they come in, in bunches because they're not as good of a team that like the Dodgers are right now who are just freaking absolutely loaded, who just you can see that why they don't lose. <clears throat> Did the, the Red see? Sox are not that, they're not that team. They don't have the pitching staff to sustain things like that. So I think there is a, a, a good chunk of losing for them to come up, and that's why I think if the Yankees can get, still even doesn't need to be against the Red Sox, in the, in the near future, I mean, yeah, they do need to take care of some business when they play them. But I think there's going to be room. Did you see quickly a side note on the Dodgers? They're 43-7 and seven in their last 50 games. What's the pace now? I, don't, I know they were on pace to, to, to beat the 98 Yankees. I don't, I don't know where the uh, pace is know. right now. Well, I mean, the, the, what's it called? The, the, um, 2001 the Mariners. Mariners beat the Yankees. So, I mean, that record, the Yankees' more record of 98 was that they went 125 wins and won the World Series. Yeah, but I don't care about the Mariners' record because they did nothing. <laughs> they got knocked out in well, the, the Dodgers what, the ALCS. Still have to win, and the Dodgers have choked for the last 10 years in the playoffs. And right now, Darvis, didn't Darvis just get... He got on the like, DL, I think. DL, so Kershaw's on the DL, Darvis on the DL. I'm still waiting to see on the Dodgers. They're a ridiculously good regular season team right now. But I... I I don't have confidence that they can go through the playoffs. Well, you, you don't have confidence in the uh, the skin strength of Rich Hill? No. That, <laughs> he's got to pee on his hands more. <laughs> yeah, he does have to. He needs to become leather. Oh, another note, by the way, I need to talk about Fenway, too. One thing I didn't know. Um, first of all, the beer selection sucks. <laughs> the fact that you can only get a 12-ounce beer and it's $10.25 mm-hmm. is horrible. Highest I prices. Mean, by the time I got back to the seat, the beer was gone. It was ridiculous. You just basically have to hang out by the beer stands because they're, they're so small. I mean, you could get a 16-ounce beer at Yankee Stadium. You're paying a little bit more, but at least you have a decent-sized beer that will last you a little bit longer. It's embarrassing. And the, and the selection was, was shit. And the other thing is, as much as I don't like all the bouginess of the food at Yankee Stadium with the sushi and all that other crap, at least they do have some really good selections of like good stadium-type food. They do, the Yankee Stadium crushes Fenway in that, in that area. And um, the food selection was just bad. Like everything was just not good at all. So Fenway I, was, has I was disappointed with that. Highest per ounce price of beer. In, yeah, in no the doubt. League. And then did you see that, that, uh, that video I tweeted? Um, of Monty hitting his head on the dugout. I did see that. Yeah. It's, yeah. So there's little in- intricacies of that game of that ballpark. I don't mind those little things. I honesty. still like Fenway park though, but can we, can we please get some like decent beer selections? And even if you're, even if it's just a few beers, let me buy a 16 ounce beer, please. Just, I will pay more for it. Just give me the option to buy a 16 ounce beer. And someone was tweeting me that I got to know the right places. Okay. I walked five minutes around back and back, like to both sides yeah. of my gate and I couldn't find anything. And I was, like, I told you to go to my guy behind home plate. You know, I was in right field. It would have been a freaking trek. I didn't want to do it. Yeah. 
I think I for, they and do to tell sell, you the truth, I forgot. I think they sell 16-ounce like Bud Light bottles, but who the hell wants to drink Bud Light? Yeah, so. For the fourth time this year, Yankees pitcher nuts up against Chris Sale. CC goes out and pitches six innings, two earned runs. Uh, previously, uh, Tanaka, obviously we know, pitched a complete game shutout, and both Montgomery and Severino pitched great, giving up one earned run or less. So the Yankees pitchers exactly what they used to do against Pedro. Yeah, Pedro would go out there and shut shut the Yankees batters down, but the Yankees pitchers would do the same thing. The Yankees were what uh, three and one in the four games started by Chris Sale. Yeah, and the only loss was the Araldis Chapman Devers home run. I believe was it was that game. It was one of the ones that Chapman blew, and they should be four and zero. They're three and one against Chris Sale. So yeah, they should be winning these games, and that should be a big problem for the Red Sox. That should be a significant problem, and. Unfortunately, the Yankees are letting him off the hook because, quote, Cy Young winner, because I'm, I'm going to put an asterisk behind that every single time I talk about it, Rick Porcello comes out and just dominates the team. CC has had a ridiculous season against the Red Sox, though. I was actually shocked when I looked these numbers up. Three wins, 3-0 and three starts, .9 ERA, 20 innings pitch, .85 whip, and a 159 batting average against. He comes off the DL, a nice 10-day vacation, gets his knee injected, probably has a, has a, a nice uh, massage, probably a lot of Captain Crunch, comes back out there, he's throwing a bunch of backdoor curveballs, keeping the Red Sox batters off balance. For whatever reason, he pitches well against the Red Sox. He's a big game pitcher. I mean, he doesn't have the big the stuff that he used to have, but the guy still has the moxie. He still got the 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 balls to go out there and throw a big Cojones. game. So he's the guy. He actually was thrown inside on some guys too. He's the guy that needs to set the tone a little bit more with some of these other guys and show them that hey. This is a big situation. This is your division rival. He, this has been a rival forever. It's your biggest rival. It should be your biggest rival. Let's throw inside. Establish yourself as a dominant pitcher. That's your plate. Make them know that. And that's what CC does. He doesn't have to throw hard to do it. He doesn't have to hit people to do it. But he, he works the count. He, uh, he, he throws inside. And he establishes the plate. So good for him, man. I, I always have confidence in big games that he's going to come out there and at least keep the Yankees in the game. And that's why I think that if the Yankees do make it to a five-game series, he gets one of the starts. I agree. I think, I think as long as he's healthy and that knee is not too much of a bother, that's, that's going to be it. Um, he, he put the Yankees in a great situation to win the series on Sunday, Sonny Gray going, but Sonny Gray had nothing, and he was taking forever to throw the ball. I saw Nesson give a, a stat that said uh, he was taking 28 seconds in between pitches. So it's just way too long. It was that game took like four hours. It was brutal to watch. Um, and also a thing about Sonny Gray that I've noticed is that he gives up two out hits, which is kind of backbreaking, especially when your offense seeming like they can't score any runs for him. But he gave up uh, two two out uh, runs against Cleveland his first time out, three against Toronto, and then two more against Boston today. Yeah, and unfortunately, it was a, he leads the the league in unearned runs allowed as well. I think that was a, he had another one in that uh, in in one of his first three innings. But the the thing about Sonny Gray is he he threw a lot of pitches. He didn't go deep in the game, but the Yankees were still in the game. They were still in the game, and they couldn't totally. go and get the bats going against Rick freaking Porcello, who again Cy Young winner asterisk the dude's a four five ERA guy. That's who he is. That's 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 who Rick Porcello is. So he shouldn't be going out there and shutting you down. Um, the Yankees offense today was just an F. This game was over before it started, it felt, it felt like. Yeah, it sucked the life out of me, too. 
Uh, before we get into mailbags, I want to remind you guys to rate and review the podcast in iTunes. We are almost at 400 reviews, which is awesome to see. If you enjoy the podcast, go give it a quick five-star review and rating. It really helps us out to create better shows. We get better guests on. More people find the podcast. So again, iTunes, five-star review. Let's get to mailbags. The first one is from Brandon. He says, with Chapman removed from the closer spot and Joe going to a closer by committee, what are your feelings on not naming Batances the closer, or do you think Robertson would be better suited for that role? So we kind of touched on this earlier. I, I don't believe that he's going to name anybody a closer. I don't think that's, that's first of all, in his, in his best interest by any means, by putting his foot in his mouth and naming somebody a closer. It's just not something he's going to do. It'll commit him to something that he doesn't want to do. And I still believe that what he's going to, what's going to happen is we're going to see a couple of good outings from Araldis Chapman in the 7th, 6th, whatever. And eventually, probably not that far away from now, he's going to be put back in that closer role. But until then, he's just going to go with whoever doesn't need or needs work or who's available on that day. And it's probably going to be one of those two guys. It's probably going to be David Robertson or Batances. Tommy Canley's basically taking himself out of it with his recent struggles. Um, but you're looking at Robertson, who obviously has a ton of experience. And then Batances, who came in on Saturday night and was lights out. I mean, he was, that was a dominant Batances. So that's the guy you need to see. I was listening to the pregame today. Susan Waldman said that Batances didn't know he was going to be the closer on Saturday until Robertson pitched the eighth inning. So Girardi did not give them any warning on who was going to be the closer. Yeah, which I like. I mean, go with the way that the, the game dictates. Have the game dictate what you're going to do. To me, that's a much better way to go. You can make people available and say, hey, you're probably going to pitch today. Or, hey, be ready to throw today. Not sure when it's going to happen, but be ready. It could happen at any moment. To me, that's a much better situation to go into than saying, hey, you're the eighth inning guy. Hey, you're the ninth inning guy. If you don't get to the ninth inning, then that guy doesn't pitch. But what if that situation is occurring earlier in the game and – to me, it's just a much better way to manage a bullpen. So uh, what needs to happen, in your opinion, for Chapman to be renamed the closer? Again, I, just, I don't think it's going to take a lot. I think it's going to take a few outings uh, of, to show the world that he can throw strikes again. And there'll be some behind-the-scenes stuff. Joe will talk about how his bullpen sessions look good, how he has confidence, and blah, 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 blah. It's going to be a bunch of horseshit spewed out to us, and he's going to be put back in the closer role. It's going to happen. Did- did you notice he was sweating significantly less today pitching in the sixth and seventh inning than he was in the ninth innings? Then stop sweating. Stop getting so freaking worked up. I don't know why. <laughs> Maybe he's sweating because he's nervous. Maybe. What do we have next? Next one is from Holly Berry. Not the Holly Berry, but How do you Holly know Berry. Because I saw a picture. It wasn't her. Oh. Um, the she asks and i i do like this question this is this is something that that kind of fires me up she says do you think these young guys like sanchez toe sevi and other players who didn't grow up in the u.s know what the red sox rivalry is Girardi needs to play some of the old brawls pedro zimmer brawl and get these guys fired up to play these bums and it and it wouldn't hurt if judah were to come back or posada to give a speech to these young guys judge hicks Didi, and others mentioned come on pump these guys up with that edge because it seems like all the Red Sox players do have that edge. Okay. Now, so do you hold on? Do you really buy like you can go do rah-rah speeches? Are do are you buying professional athletes can have rah-rah like let's go win one for the Gipper? Yes, 100%. There's no doubt about it. They, that can absolutely happen. You can get behind something. You can get behind uh, a, a saying, you can get behind 
something that you do, you can get behind some something somebody does. Absolutely. It doesn't need to be this big thing. It could be something very small. It could be something just to, just to put a little bit of a chip on the shoulder. I do believe that can happen. I think you've seen teams that do that often. I think that, what did we talk about? Who was the guy that, uh, that gave the big speech for the Cubs? It was, I forget who it was now. Somebody gave the big speech for the Cubs and it went down as, uh, the, you know, as, as one of the, the big speeches. Hayward. Yeah, it was Hayward, exactly. Thank Game you. seven World Series is different than an August baseball game against... It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. No, no. It doesn't matter when it happens. I mean, it it just can happen. You can have that that little bit of an edge, especially when you're playing these guys, because it does look like the Red Sox do have that edge. You can do something that that will piss somebody off in the sense that, hey, these guys look like they're playing harder. Hey, these guys look like they want to beat us more than we want to beat them. You know, do a little bit of poking. You know, go after someone's um, the, the way that they play or how hard they play. As a player, talking to another player, I feel like you could do that, especially the veteran guys. So yeah, I think there's a level of doing it. Th- I don't think showing old tapes or even having a, a veteran guy come back and talk to you is the way to do it. I think a, a veteran guy in the, in the clubhouse, uh, they don't even need to be part of the rivalry at, at any point. They just need to get these guys fired up to come out with a little bit more edge. Um, and it actually seemed like they did have that edge on Saturday. It felt like they were they were coming out with a little bit more. They even talked about it. I think Todd Frazier's a guy that could actually do that and get guys pumped up. I feel like he's got that that Jersey attitude, come in uh, and, and get people fired up. Because, really? Just a guy that they're renting can come in and fire the team up? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It doesn't need to be a, a, a fixture in the lineup. You don't have to be a guy that's that's going to be in the long-term plans. It doesn't nobody gives be... a shit about that at that moment. Nobody cares who's going to be on the team next year at that moment. All they're thinking about is that moment. So it doesn't need to be a Posada or a Jeter coming coming in. No, I'm it does not need to I be. I cannot imagine Derek Jeter, who just had a, a daughter coming in and just bought the Marlins, coming in and firing the Yankees players up. I could see Posada doing that though. He's got nothing else to do, and I think he's up. Uh, he's up in that area, isn't he? But I don't know. I I, I do believe that. I, I think a guy like Cece's and Frazier. I think those two guys could actually light a fire under under these guys. I think Cece with the pitching staff uh, on just giving them that pep talk, like, hey, you got to throw inside. To me, that that will give you that edge. I think guys like Severino, um, I think guys like Judge, guys like that can definitely take the um, you know the lead with some of that stuff because they are quote going to be the leaders, you know, moving forward. And I, I think it would show a lot to the other guys if they were to take the lead in something along those lines. So I do believe it can happen. Having an edge though is also about winning, and the Yankees haven't done much winning against the Red Sox the last couple series. Yeah, no, it's true. That's uh, that that will help. The next question is from Eric, um, and he says, I fear that the Yankees will not be a championship team as long as Chapman is the closer. He has blown two saves versus Boston and almost blew two more. Uh, which contract will be will the Yankees regret more, Ellsbury or Chapman? I think this is an easy answer. I think it's Ellsbury 100%. I think Chapman's going to be fine. I think he will go back up, and, and I think he's going to figure it out. I think he'll be okay. I really do have confidence that Chapman's going to be the guy that he was. He still looks like he's healthy and throwing. I think it's just between the ears at this point. Ellsbury is a disaster and is just a horrible contract. He will go down as the worst contract, and it won't be a, it won't be a dispute. Yeah, also because seven years versus at most five years for Chapman if he does not opt out, which we don't know where he's going to be in a couple of years, but yeah, totally agree. Ellsbury, even though so far Chapman has been the Ellsbury of contracts uh, this season, Ellsbury will be worse for the long term. All right, guys, we appreciate you submitting the mailbag questions. If you want to do so, go to bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. You can also tweet us. The show's handle is at Yankees Podcast. Mine is at Andrew underscore Rotondi. And Scott's is at Scott Reinen. Also, call the voicemail line 646-480-0342. The episode is going to finish with your voicemails, and we will talk to you guys in a few days. 
and that George isn't at home. Please leave a message at the beep. I must be out before I pick up the phone. Where could I be? <laughs> Believe it or not, I'm not home. So the best bullpen in baseball is useless when you have an idiot as your manager. Canely obviously didn't have it, and Girardi just stood there with his thumb up his ass. How do you not bring one of your other arms out of the bullpen? We're not playing the Mets, Joe. We're playing the Red Sox. Look up. There's a team right above you. Somebody put a copy of the standings into his goddamn binder. This fucking loss is 100% on Judge. He cannot hit with runners in scoring position. He can't hit him with men on base in general. Bump him down in the lineup. Alright, so the Yankees just went up, uh, 6-3, to three. Hicks just got hit by a pitch, and I want to say two things. First, God bless Ronald Torres and Gary Sanchez, and second, if Girardi brings in Chapman, I'm going to blow a gasket. Thank you and go Yanks. This is Joey D, and I just watched Chapman give up two runs with no outs against Boston. Welcome to five games back. Oh my god. Pay eighty million dollars or whatever it is for that. Give me a break. And Girardi has nobody in the bullpen. Give me a break. Should be two games back right now, but we'll take it. Just got the win. Leave the bullpen as it is. Robertson, Batantis, perfect. Leave it as it is. If Joe Girardi touches it again, I'm throwing something to my TV. Go Yanks. Let's go. We just bought in Caleb Smith, which is a great time for me to make this phone call. What a fucking letdown today. Are you kidding me? After an awesome win last night, and how about CC, by the way? Love that man. They come out today, just flat as shit, can't do anything right, just lazy in the field, lazy all over the place. We look like we were interested to be there. I hope they have a great day off tomorrow, and uh, let's at least take three out of four from the Tigers. Thanks, guys. How did we lose the series to Boston? I'm, I'm still not comfortable. We threw the game away on Friday. I'm tired of getting from games. Like, we always beat Sale. But we can't do drunk operates. The hell? It's just the inconsistency of the team playing down in their competition. It's, it's killing us right now. Without Eastman, Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, We'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.